Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are on episode 66 and you know we're going to be talking about pretty much this whole conversation on the Russian-Ukraine situation, the war, the bombings, all of that. My name is Tyler and of course I'm with my co-hosts Pratik and Nick. So starting off with Nick this time, how are you doing, how's your week and how are you feeling about this whole situation? I'm doing well. I think I stayed up way too late, multiple nights in a row, just glued to my uh, phone screen because the CNN live updates and other news sites, it's pretty crazy to actually see like a, a war being live streamed in high definition from everyone's smartphones to just see things for yourself. It is pretty wild and not having to, for example, like you'll see something on the news like a day or two after you've already seen it. It's a very weird inversion of how people get information today. So it's pretty wild to be living through. Yeah, this is like their first modern land invasion war, I think, too. We haven't had one since like, you know, the last 30, 40 years where we've had an actual full on scale war to some extent. Now it's just usually like cyber attacks and things like that. There's no like land invasion war. And cyber attacks in some extent are much worse, but you know. Russia attacked Georgia in like 2008, right? And then they invaded the Crimea. So those were kind of wars, but. No, yeah. yeah. But it was, it was one of those that they just kind of like, it wasn't covered as much and it wasn't that big of a deal because a lot of those countries wanted to become a part of Russia anyway. This was the one country which it was an actual major challenge. And I guess the Crimean thing in 2014 was kind of like that, but we had the Obama administration there. They didn't know what they were doing anyway, so it is what it is. All right, Pratik, what you said was complete garbage about Georgia wanting to join uh, Russia, but we will move right past that. We will get into that later <laughs> in the episode. Let me kick it off and just talk very briefly about what's, what's can I just uh, Can I just make a quick comment on what you said, actually, about like the modernity of warfare and seeing it for the first time? It's just so surreal to see on TikTok like soldiers making TikToks as they're going to battle and as bombs are going off. And there was a viral video of like, um, a tank running over some car with a guy in it and it went everywhere and it, everyone's just watching this all the time. I think ultimately it might be a good thing because I think people are sensitive to this stuff. And back in the day where you saw it in the newspaper, sure, you understood it was happening. That was awful. But seeing firsthand a video account of someone that looks just like you, either in war or going through battle and whatnot, that could that could uh, de-incentivize people from wanted, wanting to do this sort of thing. And even in Russia... Who knows what kind of information I'm getting. Maybe it's propaganda. I'm not sure. But there seem to be protests all over the world as well as in Russia about the fact that this war is going on. So I think that's a good sign moving forward that conflict is not really supported by the people. So hopefully we'll see less of it moving forward in the future. Although during this situation, of course, this is going to continue. Putin's going to try to get what he wants. So Nick, sorry, go ahead and keep introducing it. Yeah, like you were saying, in terms of how information is being spread throughout Russia, in Russia, this is being framed as uh, Ukraine was prepping for an offensive against the eastern regions in the Donbass, uh, those two people's republics of Donetsk and uh, Luhansk. And in Russia, they're sort of saying, you know, we are finding this defensive war. Ukraine is the aggressor and, you know, our soldiers are in the right. Now, what's actually happening is that Russia is invading Ukraine all over the country. There was street fighting in Kiev last night, which is the capital of the, the country, which is the size of Texas, essentially. And 
That's what's happened so far, is Russia has invaded after months of saying they weren't doing anything, nothing was going to happen. The United States calling them out on the world stage, saying, we know you're planning this. You're waiting for the Olympics to be over, for Beijing to give you the go-ahead. And they did exactly what we said they would do. Um, now, we didn't have the specific date right, but the facts on the ground are that Russia is the aggressor here. They invaded Ukraine. There are boots on the ground. There are airstrikes. There are naval engagements. It is full-scale war across the country, and that those are the facts so far, is that Russia is the aggressor and that Ukrainians are trying to defend themselves. And thus far, they haven't really, they've been able to engage, but they have not taken Kiev, haven't made significant ground on the capital. So that's a pretty huge thing that's been occurring. Um, but Pratik, overall, like looking at the situation, we know you're angry about the fact that America hasn't stepped up. We've been putting sanctions. We'll be getting to that, the specifics of that later. We've been doing sanctions. I saw that we are actually giving them, I think, $350 million up front for weapons, as well as $250 million contingent on how much it helps America or something like that. So around $600 million in military aid towards Ukraine. Uh, do you think that's enough, or do you think we should be putting boots on the ground? What are your thoughts? I think I think a variety of different things about this. Like, I first think that this has been going on for three months, and what did America do? Nothing. What did all these other European countries do that are dependent on Russian? Yes, nothing. And that's the whole thing. Like, yeah, you can throw money at this stuff. Does Russia? Does any of this stuff really change anything? Russia is still going to probably take over that country if they really feel like taking over that country until they stop. And, you know, whatever areas that they can justify taking over. And the other challenge with everything else is that in the end of the day, there's only so much that Europe is going to do because they're relying on Russian gas because those countries are stupid enough to not frack for themselves. And then you have the whole American situation where America has a president that doesn't take a stand on anything. So like, we, yeah, we're sure we're in support now because Russia invaded Ukraine. But didn't we know that this was potentially going to happen three months from now? I mean, this is what Putin has been kind of tagging along by saying that if Ukraine is part of Russia and they should be a part of Russia. When all this stuff was going on, America didn't do anything. So now I just feel like it's, I mean, yeah, sure, it's great that we're doing stuff. We're giving them funding. We're helping them, giving, we're giving them money. But we still haven't done really much of anything to stop you, stop Russia. Yeah, sure, we're giving money to Ukraine. I mean, I mean, we always give money to Ukraine. We help support their military intel. They're still not a part of NATO, which is why none of these other countries have any obligations to defend it. And they were not a part of NATO because them being a part of NATO, Russia said that they would invade Ukraine. But they invaded Ukraine even if they were not a part of NATO. So I think that the problem is that all of our governments in the West are stupid. We really don't understand what Russia's intentions are. And Russia is like any other authoritarian government. Putin controls the show. If you say anything against Putin, you're thrown in jail. Putin has an ideology that he wants to recreate something similar to a Soviet Union because he thinks that is the good old days. And the people that are in Russia, if they don't believe that, they're put in jail. So in the end of the day, what is the objective of America? Thus, throwing sanctions on them isn't going to do anything. Because, mo I mean, apart from the oligarchs, many of those Russian people don't really get to enjoy luxuries as it is. And even the oligarch people, if any of them decide to say anything against Putin, they get thrown in jail. So sanctions and all this stuff, it doesn't accomplish much. And America should have taken more military action ahead of the game whenever, before any of this stuff happened. Happened and started threatening them to some way because I mean Biden is not a very scary person 
And Putin realizes that, and he already screwed up in Afghanistan, so Ukraine is just the next debacle until the next one comes around, because you know Biden ain't gonna accomplish anything, and Ukraine is probably gonna get taken over by Russia, because America is a bunch of, uh, America and Europe are a bunch of losers, because Europe is still depending on Russian natural gas, because those countries are too stupid enough to not frack stuff for themselves, so they don't have to rely on Russia, who can do whatever it wants, because they know that they will, their people will freeze to death if they don't get natural gas from russia all right pratique so russia just has way more petroleum product reserves than any of the other european nations so the whole thing about them being too stupid and to not exploit their own natural resources i think is pu pure garbage we can throw that out of the window no Feel no free no to come back on me, but no you just yeah. gave a two minute soliloquy okay a monologue so okay. let me let me say some <laughs> stuff so I, I really want to get your answer to tyler's question though which is mm -hmm. should we have american troops on the ground because like you were saying you're saying America hasn't done enough, and yet when you list all of what we've done, whether it's sharing intelligence, whether it's calling them out on the world stage, whether it's contributing weapons and body armor and equipment, whether it is the sanctions that are specifically targeted towards Russia's largest national banks, which have over a trillion dollars in assets, and to your point, a lot of those assets belong to some of those big oligarchs. And we're also coordinating with France, the UK, others, because as we all know, Russian oligarchs have a lot of their funds tied up in London financial uh, institutions or London-based financial institutions. And so I think we are sort of coming together and having a concerted effort between Western Europe and the United States to really punish Russia for this invasion. So short of like, is the only thing you want us to do then just to have boots on the ground? Is that really like... America needs to do this, and if we don't commit troops, then we're nothing, we're weak. Is that your stance? Do we need troops on the ground, or what are you thinking? I don't want to put words in your mouth. All right. You have a very multifaceted question, so let me break it down, my logic. So the thing about the Russian oligarchs first is that the oligarchs are just really wealthy people in Russia, right? And some of those people, they believe is why Putin is in power. The problem with all that logic is that Russia, Russia, Putin is the, you know, controls the military. He's the primary person in that government. He is the government, we could say. And if you go up against Russia, well, Putin will throw you in jail. He's done this to countless oligarchs and other wealthy families that have, you know, spoken out against him. He's even tried to assassinate the people that have ran against him because, you know, Putin wins 99% of the vote. So that's the first thing. So none of those other factors really make that much of a difference. Now, when when it comes to the natural gas stuff, the reason I say that, the way I framed it, is Germany and France does have a lot of resources, potentially. Along with the United States, had we allowed Keystone to go through and had we not shut that production of that stuff down. Now, when it comes to France and Germany, all those countries in the, Europe, in the European Union, they have a mandate in place that doesn't allow them to frack. So they're not allowed to frack anything, any resources at all when it comes to natural gas or when it comes to petroleum, when it comes to oil. And petroleum is a mixture of both natural gas and oil. And that's part of the problem is that everyone uses petroleum to fuel their cars. And that's what that's how uh, the economy works nowadays anywhere around the world. Now, when it comes to Russia in particular, my whole argument has always been that you shouldn't have authoritarian or dictatorships or any type of those kind of people in power because all of that stuff just means is that all these countries are authoritarian type realist type countries so they if you are a part of the if you're a citizen of those countries that means that you are beholden to the state it's either the state or and if you go against the state then you're committing treason so anyone in russia doesn't have any actual rights of, at all because you're either for putin 
or you're against Putin. And if you're against Putin, you're in jail or probably dead. One or the other. So, like, I think the problem when it comes to many countries like that is there's nothing you can really do to stop any of them from advancing in an aggressive manner. The only thing you can really do is engage in de de uh, democratic democracy building. And the way you do that is if you try to overthrow their government, do certain things like that, engage in militarily. And, yeah, sure, we talk about boots on the ground now. And I mean, we could, we're putting boots on the ground as the story go, unfolds, but we should have done that beforehand. We should have got more aggressive at a time whenever this stuff hadn't taken place yet. We have the ability. We are the strongest military in the entire world. Yeah, sure. I know Russia engages in these cyber attacks all the time. And Americans are like, our government is so outdated that we still use Blackberries whenever the time everybody else was using, uh, you know, Android and iPhones. But I think the problem is the cyber warfare and all that stuff aside, because technology, we're always going to be losing to authoritarian governments like Russia and China. When it comes to land attacks and when it comes to actual democracies and when it comes to, you know, them having administrative forces... America has a strong role that they play. A lot of these countries receive aid from America. We're the ones that finance a lot of the development projects that happen all around the world, including development projects that have happened in Russia. I just think that all that stuff all pins back to the U.S. Since the 90s, whenever we broke out, broke up the Soviet Union, we were very, we had very lax policies when it came to Russia, and that's why Russia is able to, you know, recreate what they had before. And most of that stuff is powered by their own energy supply, which is my argument is that Europe should start fracking on its own and America should start supplying some of their natural gas and then we can eliminate a necessity of Russia to be provide for all these countries to be relying on Russian natural gas and then you can probably throw sanctions on them and actually try to stop down stop Russian aggression but the thing is that because all these other countries are so dependent on Russia there's only so much you can do to Russia because they're relying on his energy that he's providing and I mean I mean this is what we talked about two episodes ago go like yeah sure when it's in the winter it's more of a problem when it's in the summer it's not as much of a problem but in the end of the day it's going to be winter again and the same heating and cooling needs they're all supplied for by russia which is how russia's like putin's agenda in order to do recreate what he wanted to do because europe is too stupid to let him do it and they're still going to be too stupid to let him do it. And if we stop him in Ukraine now, he's eventually going to advance to Belarus. He's eventually going to advance to Poland. And it's just a matter of time before he gets close to Germany's borders. And the fact is that all of this is happening because all these countries are dependent on Russia. And the way you prevent that is if countries created their own econ economies that had their own some of their own needs met, their own development, their own energy needs met. And if America decided to be the major player as they once were a few years ago, where we were providing a lot of the energy to a lot of these European countries, because again, those countries are too stupid enough to not frack their own crap, at least a little bit. So I go back to, before we turn it over to Tyler, or Tyler, feel free to jump in, but Pratik, I'm still waiting for an answer on you on, do you think we need to commit U.S. troops on the ground? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He thinks we, we yeah, already yeah, I should think so. have done that. I think, I'm saying we should have done that earlier. I mean, yeah, it's good that we're doing it now, but we should have done that earlier. And more military warfare nowadays is more intel and more drone strikes and all that kind of stuff. We should have been engaging in that stuff way before the Russians actually were at the capital of Ukraine. Like, you're like, dude, this is like we're waiting till like everything ended for us to take any action because our country is too stupid enough to wait till the last minute. And then you got Europe. Those people are a bunch of dumbos anyway. Like, they're, they're still waiting to take action. They're like, oh, man. Man, Russia's taking over Ukraine. What are we going to do? Nothing. 
because that's what we're best at. Well, really, really, it should have happened before Crimea, because the the whole reason, or at least a big part of the reason that Russia ended up invading Crimea was Ukraine found in their economic zone $2 trillion worth of natural gas, and they could have been seen as a competitor to Russia for supplying natural gas to Europe. And because of that, that's a large reason why they, they took 80% of that that uh, that natural gas space from Ukraine. And after they were able to take that, Ukraine has not really been had a chance to be a competitor. And because of that, Russia knows that they can't let Ukraine be on their own, so they have to invade. But a lot of what you're saying I understand. I just think at this point, I would rather not start a world war. And I think we would cross russia's red line i think it's more important for them to have this space and be invading than it is for us to defend it yeah see i don't agree with that there was actually an ap news story by the way tyler where i think 26 percent of americans believe that we should uh, that uh, that they believe that america should invade in ukraine in some capacity so it's not it's a majority of the people do believe similarly to what you're saying my only argument though is that i mean if Ru- russia is gonna keep doing this They've been able to do it. They've been able to invade other countries, and we let them get away with it because our countries are too stupid enough to not take action. I think this is just like, you know, just the continuation of that. They did this in 2014. What did Obama do? Nothing. I'm sure if Trump was there right now, probably still wouldn't have done anything, but I feel like I feel like Putin was a little bit more scared of Trump because Trump is more, you know, he was he was one of those people that was very unpredictable and he was kind of crazy-ish. So we had people had zero clue on what he was going to do. Even Trump didn't know what he was going to do. But now with Biden, they knew he Putin knew that Biden isn't going to do anything. So Putin just went ahead and did whatever he wanted to do. And I just think that Putin is much more of an intelligent person than anybody gives him credit for. And the fact is that if the, the, all this stuff could have been prevented a long time ago, whenever Russia was starting to ag- advance in an aggressive way, way back in 2008. But in 2008, we did nothing. In 2014, we did nothing. And in 2022, we're not going to do anything. Because that's what America is really good at, is not taking any action whenever Russia advances in any aggressive manner. Since the, since the, bre- fall apart, since the breakup of the Soviet Union... Russia has only been getting stronger, and now they control a lot of the energy supply. They control all the energy supply of Europe, for the most part. So, like, you know, it's only a matter of time before they actually get closer on to Germany when they get past Ukraine. Because eventually they're going to take over most of Ukraine, and they're going to give some of it back because there's going to be some diplomatic agreement. Then they're going to move on to some other country. They're going to take over all the main stuff there, and then they're going to have some diplomatic agreement with the UN because they're a member of the UN Council and they can't be removed. And it's just like a matter of time where you can't do anything because America is such a pacifist country because we're like we don't want to get involved in putting troops on the ground and all this stuff. You're still going to have the same issue where Russia doesn't care about that. They don't care if you're doing anything. If you're not doing anything, if you're not putting any troops over there, Russia's only going to advance further. And it's not like Europe has a military. They're all ceremonial armies, and then you got they're all reliant on your energy anyway. So it's just a matter of time before Russia advances further because America's the only thing stopping them, and we're not good at doing anything. We are just going to stand there. Well, I guess there's a lot here. Uh, is the United <laughs> States a pacifist country? We've been at war for most of our history, so I'm, I'm not sure how that holds up. Um, especially, you're saying we don't do anything in terms of Russia. We're doing nothing to check them. We'll look at Syria, Yemen, um, Libya. That's proxy wars, though. That's exactly it. Proxy wars. What would this be, Pratik? But, see, with those, with those situations that you said, what are we doing in Yemen exactly? 
with Syria. What did we do? I am still confused on Biden's foreign policy in Syria. I have not heard one thing about what Biden is doing in the, Sy in the Syrian area right now. When Trump was there and when Obama was there, it was very clear what the Syrian policy was, but it was also kind of unclear. It was clear to the extent that they were supporting the rebels, but they were also fighting against the rebels, but then they were also supporting Assad. They were trying to keep him there to keep Russia happy, but then they were trying to execute Assad because of him trying to do all this chemical gassing towards his own people. And again, all these people have their own Twitter accounts, by the way. That's the irony. Only Republicans get banned. But that's that a whole other argument. Funny. But yeah. with Bashar al-Assad, like with Syria, we don't know exactly. And there hasn't really been a war. There was a no-fly zone for so many years in that area. And like the thing is that all of those areas where Russia has advanced militarily to some extent or has supported certain groups, America hasn't really done much. And their only alliance, that uh, ally that Russia has that we're really hardcore enemies with is Iran. But even Russia has like a really weird relationship with Iran. It's not like clear cut like what they believe about Iran because Iran does terroristic activities to countries that Russia supports too. So, I mean, it's one of those that like that's like a fake ally. And then you have Russia just doing whatever it wants to do. And all of our military, like, you know, expeditions that we've done in the past, like, decade, Trump, Obama, and now Biden, have made very little sense. Like, in terms of Syria, too, like, I don't have any clue about what Ob what Biden's policies are in that region. And we don't know about any of Biden's policies, really, in any of those other countries. Yemen, kind of, but we know that we're just pulling troops out. We haven't done much in that region as well. Like with with Obama, it was clear. Obama was just like a diplomatic negotiator. He believed you could solve everything from diplomacy, and it clearly hasn't worked because Russia was able to invade Crimea at his at his during his presidency. And I think the same logic now is that when it comes to Russia, they're aggressive because no one else is being aggressive against them. And they're just able to do whatever they want to do. And they support whoever they want to support. And the people that they support, they can chemically gas their own people. And it doesn't matter because Russia is still going to okay. do whatever okay. Russia wants to do. So, Pratik, NATO, the United States, we go on the fronts. We're helping out Ukraine. We're defending them. And then Russia goes, all right, we're going to cut off all the natural gas supplies to Europe. This is going to be a huge toll on our economy, but yeah. people are going to start freezing to death in Europe because they just can't get the energy that they need. Exactly. So at that point, you're starting a world war, right? I mean, like, what would no, the alternative see, be? And is but, that something we should be pursuing? I understand you want to buffer the aggression of Russia, yeah. but the consequences of doing that are great for the whole world. But, so it, it's tough, but I'm not sure that's the path I would want to take. But see, let me let me argue, rebut that argument. See, the only reason why all the why all this stuff is taking place is because Europe is so dependent on Russia. Europe and could no, avoid I, this. I, I agree with you there, but at this point in time, we yeah. can't just flip a switch and have forty percent or fifty percent or whatever the amount of natural gas they get from Russia. We can't just flip a switch and say America the U.S. is going to now supply that. And I understand we like I agree we sh the the Keystone Pipeline should have gone through, for instance, like a hundred percent. But without being able to do that at this point in time, I'm not sure that I see a great I still, I mean, alternative. My, point, my point is just that I don't think you could do anything really much you could do here. I'm a pessimist. Russia is going to take over Ukraine. What what else do you want me to say there? And my, your point exactly. What is America going to do? We can't do anything. And that's my point is that 
Russia has gotten to the point where you, they can do whatever they want. I mean, we're all worried that, you know, all these other countries are going to freeze to death, which is why Germany, Poland, France, all these other great countries in Europe are not willing to take any action on anything. And that's what's holding America back from taking much action on anything. I mean, how many troops do we send? Like 7,000? Like, that's going to apparently solve something. And we send all this money because we like to spend taxpayer money on throwing it into thin air because we don't try to solve solutions. We just try to put band-aids on things. I think this is one of those where we could have prevented this from happening. America was on the path to try to become more energy independent and provide not only more oil supply and stuff in our own country so we don't have to be reliant on some country like Russia and what is going on in Russia and what's going on in OPEC and stuff where we are able to add to our own global supply. But because we had all these great environmentalists everywhere, they wanted to like save the world. And in order to save the world, they blew it up because now Russia can do whatever it wants. Because that's what that's the path that we got to. And I get what you're arguing, and that's fair. And how much can America do? Because if America does something, we get engaged in a world war. But my point is that America should have thought about this months on end before Russia was able to literally create a monopoly over energy. Because Russia created a monopoly over energy because of all these environment people and all these environmentalists that wanted to save the world. So now you're to the point where, obviously, your solar energy stuff isn't going to heat people's homes. So you're relying on their these people's natural gas and america's cut off so much of our own natural gas stuff because we had to appease all of our environment america people so russia's doing whatever they want mainly because of certain groups like the environmentalists and it's so bad to pin it to a certain group like that but if you could blame anybody in any of this stuff you blame those <laughs> people. the vegans the vegans are <laughs> fucking the world up, guys. <laughs> and it sounds bad, but no, I'm just saying, like, yeah. you don't want to be relying on anybody else. And that that's Pratik, what I, 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 I get that. I want to hear Nick's response to that, because I think he's more on the environmentalist <laughs> side. And I don't think he would agree that we should have not been, like, pursuing these alternatives to maybe help Europe get different access to natural gas, for instance, so they're not as reliant on Russia. I, I think you, know, you make a valid point, though. Much of what's occurring now, we're kind of in in a hole like if we're between a rock and a hard place because we've had so many poor foreign policy and internal energy decisions over the past 30 years that have led to this outcome and because of that we can't do much now and that's kind of upsetting but i want to get nick's take on what you're saying whether you think that's a big contributor or if we could have done anything about this even let's say 10 20 years ago yeah so what pratik is saying about the keystone xl pipeline and what you said yourself tyler uh, that's fair in terms of this short-term solution. I would disagree with both of you. I think it was good that it was uh, held up and that it didn't go ahead with the approval. I'm very glad that didn't happen, but for other reasons. Uh, for the, the Russia situation, I would definitely concede that uh, any sort of pipeline infrastructure, anything to sort of help domestically right now would be good in the short term. And if you're talking about the short term, I think one of the issues that Europe has right now is that, for example, if we wanted to do what Pratik is saying and really in increase our LNG exports uh, to Europe, our liquefied natural gas exports, uh, the two big terminals in Germany that they're supposed to be receiving it from don't currently exist. They're still under construction. They still have yet to be improved. So if, even if we started shipping stuff off tomorrow, none of it would end up getting to Germany initially. It would still have to go through other ports and then have to be transported there. So it's not like a one-to-one, -one, just flip the switch, we start exporting all this natural gas. We're doing that anyway. The oil companies are wanting to do that anyway. You look at Shell, Chevron, whatever. They want to export their LNG to Europe. That's happening regardless of whatever the president says, okay? It's going gonna, it's gonna to increase in the future, even though I don't like that as more of an environmentalist. 
it's going to keep going up. Now, in terms of countering Russia, I think uh, one thing I, I like that we framed it around energy because I mean, <laughs> to Fatigue's point, I really don't think it's all these environmentalists in, in Western Europe that have forced this this issue. Um, Angela Merkel, for example, I don't think she was like this deep green communist who was like, oh, no, we can't have any energy independence here in Germany. Not allowed. In fact, she did her PhD dissertation on nuclear energy, and she's the one who decided to shut it down. You could certainly disagree with that. I would probably disagree with it at this point as a bad idea to wean, to make Germany more reliant on imports um, and to decrease its own natural ga- or its own nuclear uh, capacities. But um, energy stuff aside, I think this goes back to 2014, like you're saying, the failure of the Obama administration. But also, it's not just the United States playing a singular role here. What was happening in Ukraine, in the country itself? Well, you had the pro-Russian who was democratically elected in the country. What was his name? Lukashenko or whatever it was. It started with an L. Yeah, Lukashenko. He gets elected. Okay, he's in for a little bit. They have this big agreement with the EU that they start doing. I don't think we need to rehash this history very much, but essentially he gets kicked out. The Russians will claim that it was a, a wrong, a wrongful coup and that the Western forces sort of the ideologues, including some people who, for example, if you look at Mershamir, who's a professor who's a realist school of thought. Mearsheimer. Mearsheimer, my bad. Mearsheimer would say there were some legitimate neo-fascists, at least four of them, in that new Ukrainian coalition who won. Now, eight years later, that doesn't really hold up because the new president of the Ukraine, he's Jewish. His grandpa fought against the Nazis in World War II. It's not really holding up to say we're going to denazify Ukraine. Meanwhile, the head of Ukraine is Jewish. And if you look at polling on uh, Eastern European countries in terms of just the average everyday person, how comfortable they are with having a Jewish person as a neighbor in their country, Ukraine is one of the most <laughs> pro-Semitic countries in that part of the world. Whereas Russia, it's worse than them. Russia's more anti-Semitic. They probably have more neo-fascists in Russia. But anyway, that, that stuff aside... Um, I think it's more fundamental. I think what you guys are saying about energy totally holds water. It makes sense in Germany. But again, Germany, I think it, it's a much deeper issue. I don't think it's so much on the energy side. I think it's Germany not wanting to remilitarize. I think they have such incredible guilt for everything that happened during World War II that they've essentially neutered themselves. They're never going to take up arms in the near future unless something gets really, really bad. What Pratik was saying about Poland, I thought, wasn't really fair because Poland is ready to take in a ton of refugees and also just... You know, this isn't a huge deal for us in America, but for them to say we're not going to play against Russia in sort of the the lead up to the FIFA World Cup next month and we're going to boycott that for F1 to boycott for all these sporting events to start boycotting Russia. I think that's, you know, an an actual tangible step that they could take. It's not going to deter the war. It's not going to deter aggression. But I guess my final point is if we had U.S. troops on the ground, if we had U.S. soldiers there today, I side with President Biden on this, which is if we had U.S. troops and Russians killed U.S. troops during the invasion, I think that would start a world war. I don't think there's any case in which Americans would tolerate that and where we would just run away and say, oh, wow, we've lost a bunch of American lives. That's the entire reason why we end up committing weapons and equipment and supply intelligence and all these conflict zones over the world. That's what we tried to do in South Vietnam initially, and then we found that they were totally incompetent, so then we sent troops in. That w- that's what we've done over the past 100 years or so, which is we contribute equipment, intelligence, etc. first, and then if stuff gets really bad, we'll send troops in, because the American public hates it. 
But when we do commit troops and any of them die, the American public will be at your throat. You think our lawmakers don't do anything? That's totally fine. I think that half the time as well. But when it comes to American troops dying overseas, that's something that the American public cares a lot about. And Afghanistan was a total mess, total shambles. Iraq was a mess as well. But if you had American soldiers in Ukraine painting them out like, hey, Russia's this big bad aggressor. We need to stand up to Putin. I think the American public is so anti-Russian at this point when it comes to any of this stuff that if you were to say Russians are killing American troops and American citizens in Ukraine who are trying to defend this poor country, I think we have a major war on our hands that would just escalate to a point where I don't really want to say. <laughs> I completely agree with you there, but then I would th- I would say, Pratik would say, well, then Russia's just going to get away with anything in perpetuity because they feel no one else has the stomach to start that kind of war, but they do. Because it's it's their entire economy is based off oil and natural gas. Like, this is everything to them. Having NATO on their borders is everything because it puts NATO only a, a few hundred miles, few thousand miles away from where Stalingrad was. I forgot what it's called now, but that's like the hub of where their supply of natural gas comes from. And because of that, that's a big issue. They don't want NATO to being that close to them. It's like an existential threat. So what will be what will be the point where we're like, all right, that's enough? Is there a red line that Russia can cross where we're like, we need to commit to this war, no matter how horrible it is? Like, world war means millions of people could potentially die. And that's why we're so averse to thinking and wanting to do that. Is it worth to do over something like Ukraine? Pratik, would you say, yes, it is worth it? I kind of, I would say that, you know, you're worried about getting into a world war, but in the process, you're allowing Russia to do whatever it wants. So you're attacking any other country that they want to attack, and they're taking over whatever they want because we're too scared of doing any action. And that's the thing when it comes to this war stuff is that, yeah, you're worried about world war, but Russia's not worried about a world war because that's Russia. In Russia, their whole goal is that they want to recreate the Soviet Union. Their citizens In Russia, it's always that. a world war. <laughs> yeah, in Russia, they believe that they were wrongfully, you know, their their Soviet Union was like the good old days and that was wrongfully taken away from them. And Putin wants to recreate that back. And if their citizens don't believe that, well, he's going to put them in jail because they have to believe that because that is the Russian agenda. That is Putin's agenda and Putin is the government. I just think that in the end of the day, we start, we, we're only going to pander because we don't have any solutions to do anything. And whenever we had a solution, we decided to become environmentalists. Like, I mean, the fact is that, yeah, it's great that these countries um, that, you know, America is doing the right thing in order to make sure Americans lives aren't lost. But the fact is that you could have averted this whole situation if a lot of these countries weren't reliant on Russia. Why would you be reliant on a country that is going to eventually invade all your your country and all these other countries because they want to recreate a Soviet Union? That's exactly what the Nazis did in the 1940s. Like this is what we do. Like we allow all right, there's some gov- there's some dictator. They're like we want to take over this stuff and we want to create a new world order and all these other countries like, "Oh, we won't attack you because we don't want to create a world war." And then eventually the process is that you will create a world war because you're so pandering to these audiences because you're so worried about taking any action. And it's great 
This is why I called them a pacifist country. This is why I called America a bunch of pacifists. Because it sounds great on paper that, yeah, you're not allowed, you're trying to avoid bloodshed of American troops. But in the in the eventuality, the thing is they should have prevented to, from us getting in this situation in the first place, which they could have done if America and all these economies were more self-sufficient and they weren't relying on Russia. And Russia took advantage of that because they know all these other stupid countries are relying on them. I just think that this is the same situation with China in the future, okay? Whenever we talk about oh, all the stuff is made in China and all these like issues are going on with the China human rights stuff, it's like it's the same process. The same logic applies because America basically trades with this country that doesn't provide, you know, they, they, they don't provide any rights to their people, so they don't have to pay their people. And over here, we got all of our own labor standards and conditions in place where you had to pay people a minimum wage, while in China, they don't have to pay people anything. I'm just comparing that now you flip back that that side to russia on russia's side you have all these stupid european countries that aren't doing anything on their own to try to develop any of their own capabilities with their natural resources i know france has some nuclear energy stuff but that's only 18 percent of the stuff that they have in terms of their energy supply so you're so reliant on natural you said gas 18. i think 18 right am i is it more than that i think it's a lot higher yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we'll figure out that. But go number. ahead. Yeah. But regardless. my point is that, I mean, these countries should have not got into the situation where they're so worried that Russia is going to attack them and they don't want to take any action because you don't want to end up having a world war by not being relying on a country that is such authoritarian like that, that their whole goal is they want to recreate a Soviet Union. And my point is that we could have avoided this. They could have avoided this. We could have increased. I don't think increasing our own export capacity would have done that much. But I think that these countries should have had more of their domestic stuff taken care of so that they don't have to be reliant on some other foreign actor like that. Like, yeah, sure, China, Russia, all these countries are very authoritarian type countries. But then you have America over here that is a democracy and they're a good country and they try to help all these people, all this other stuff, yada, yada. But all of these countries should have followed that America first type agenda where they're trying to focus on developing their stuff homeland and making their stuff stronger to such an extent that they're not relying on other external powers and what's going on in the foreign foreign you know what's going on in foreign policy and what's going on in foreign affairs in other countries and the fact is that we are so reliant on all of these different forces so that if right now the argument one of these people have been placing is that we need to put tariffs on their energy in Russians, Russian energy supply. All that's going to do is raise oil prices. So then everybody's pissed off because petroleum is going to be much higher. Their petroleum's already going to be much higher because Russia invaded Ukraine. So that's already going to be a thing that's going to happen. So people are already worried about that. I mean, oil, gas prices right now are almost $4. In California, it's like $5. You're like, dude, this is like ridiculous where how it is sometimes. And you're just like, this has happened because we don't have anything going on domestically to address some of this stuff. So we're not reliant on, you know, foreign powers in America. And in Europe, they're so reliant on Russia that they can't even lay a finger on them if Russia decides that they're going to invade other countries, including border countries to their own. All right, well, Pratik, so about- I, I rambled yeah. a little bit too much earlier but i want to take your point to its extreme let's say Mm -hmm. germany was totally energy reliant zero imports zero they had their own natural gas they had their own nuclear they have everything they don't have to worry about russian energy let's say the united states as well zero imports prices are low let's say that was the reality you think still we would go in if that was the case you think we would go in and fight the russians in ukraine i think that's a load of garbage i don't think we would i think we would 
I don't because we, we wouldn't would. have anything to lose. It would start a new Germany would, No, no, but Germany would have nothing to lose. Germany has everything to lose if, if, if we go to war with Russia. Because that means that Russia is going to cut off their natural gas supply to Germany. So either way, Germany's screwed. So in that situation, if Germany wasn't reliant on Russia to get their energy supply, and let's say they provided energy to all their other EU partners because they're the god of the European Union, well, in that situation... Russia wouldn't have the ability to go attack all these countries because they would be shut down eventually because there are a lot of other countries in the world. It's not just Russia. But because Russia is providing natural gas to almost half those countries and all the countries basically in Europe, they can do whatever they want. I just think that if you take it to the extreme, the fact is that this is the extreme. All those other countries are reliant on on Russia to provide them with energy. So all their electricity needs and all that stuff is all coming from Russia. All their oil prices, all their gas prices, all the prices that deals with petroleum, which drives most of their cars around the world and all their trains in most of those countries, except Germany, they're all coming from Russia. And I think the fact is that we are in that extreme situation. And it, had it been the other way around, I mean, America has the balls to go attack some country. We attack countries all the time, but we don't do certain things because we have all these diplomatic negotiations in place with countries like Germany. And Germany doesn't want to lay a finger on Russia because they don't want their people to freeze to death. Had Germany been independent and had Germany had their own sources and had their sources come from other external partners that are European friends or America and not some authoritarian countries, like Russia, they wouldn't be in the same pothole that they are in now. But because they're in that pothole, the fact is that Russia can get away with anything that they want because all these other countries were too stupid to not be independent to some extent that they weren't fully reliant on an external power like Russia. I just fundamentally disagree. I think if you had German soldiers in Ukraine, I think there would be a nuclear war. And that may be naive of me, but I think that's what would happen. A nuclear war. Why, why would you say that? Uh, because Putin stated it very plainly. He said, if you end up attacking us in eastern Ukraine, there will be severe consequences. And he threatened nuclear war. He said That's that would be point, retaliation. Dude, but, but he can Putin always is threaten such a nuclear genius, war. Dude. Yeah, he just has so to threaten nuclear so war can, and nothing happens. So can like, any <laughs> nuclear power. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying that nuclear... No, but America example, threatens nuclear forces all the time on North Korea. They do it all the time on Iran. We could send do nukes to anything? Ukraine and say, we'll shoot right back at yeah, you then. You but we don't really do it. We're us. not going to do that because Biden is too scared to take any action on that because he has all these negotiations in place with Europe. And all those European countries, if America takes action on them, they're all going to freeze to death and then blood is going to be on Biden's hands because all those other stupid European countries were so reliant on Russia that we got to this situation in the first place. Nuclear war or not, Russia's just going to take over Europe eventually if it goes in the same situation that it is because all those countries are too stupid enough to not develop any of their own capabilities because they're so you- pandering to all these environmentalists in Europe. The EU, Talk about mutually AKA. assured destruction. Do you think Putin's w- willing to just bl- to destroy Russia to fuck everyone think, else up? I think Putin is willing to I don't, I don't do think whatever so. it takes to take over these countries and take over, recreate Soviet Union. And I think that when it comes to mutually assured destruction, the fact is that Putin is smart enough to know that none of these other countries are going to attack and engage in nuclear war because they know that they're going to potentially, there's going to be more mass casualties on their hands. So Putin just is like, all right, well, I have a free token to just take over everything that I want because none of these countries are going to do anything if I threaten nuclear war. And that's what he's doing. And that's what's happening. I just think that Putin won the game. 
Putin knows that he can do whatever he wants because all these countries are dependent on him. He knows that whatever these other countries say, they're just pandering because they're reliant on his Russian energy. And he knows that America isn't going to do everything, anything because we got all these own diplomatic negotiations in place that are like, you know, stopping us from taking any further action. And all these European countries are reliant on Russia and they need America to not engage in further nuke in further military action because if they engage in further military action then um you know that's only gonna mess it up for Europe as a whole so I think that Putin won this I mean there's no Putin won this war this is a war because it's not really a war it's just a one-sided war where all these other Europeans and Americans are just sitting there because we don't know what to do because we never know what to do when Russia attacks aggressively so we're just gonna sit there Russia's gonna take over what it wants and then they're gonna be like all right let's have a treaty they'll create a treaty and then two years later he's gonna attack some country like belarus or some country like estonia or some country like poland and then the america the same situation is gonna happen all these countries are gonna sit there and then america is gonna be like we're gonna throw sanctions on them and we're gonna provide all this funding to all these other countries that he's attacking and then Russia's gonna take engage in aggressive action he's they're gonna take certain countries they're gonna take a certain part of whatever they want and then they're gonna be like all right we give up we're gonna create a treaty and then this is gonna be the same thing russia just winning the war all these other countries are stupid because we're not developing anything on our own so we're not relying on russia and the fact is in all irony maybe trump was good at one thing and that was his whole energy argument his whole make america first agenda but if they people followed that agenda and they were america was more energy independent to the fact that we could supply the world's global energy along with our own well we would have been in a better situation because europe is too stupid to frack anyway and france russia could take over everything and europe will still not engage in fracking because they're going to make the world a better place by creating green energy everywhere to pander to the environmentalists of the world because we need to save america and save the world because it's eventually going to be taken over by russia i think we live in alternate realities where if you say the root of this uh, the root of uh, Putin's expansionism, whether it's Georgia or Ukraine or whatever, to say that that's not related to what's going on militarily and politically, and instead to say it's all the environmentalists' fault. I, I just it's not only the environmentalists. No, no, yeah, but you're saying, saying it's the, right, Nick, the root Nick, cause. But you wouldn't it is say a root cause if the EU mandate didn't exist. Because we just disagree. For- we just disagree on the fundamental nature of what this conflict is about. That's all. So wait, wait, Nick, what do you, because I, I see Russia as a petrol state. They have one source of income. If they don't have energy, natural gas, they're fucked. So this, that, that's, that's most of the conversation here, in my opinion. Do you think it's just some like grand, we're going to reunite the Soviet Union and become a world power through that narrative? Why do you think, what do you think Russia's art intentions are right now with, with their invasions of Georgia, uh, Ukraine and such? I think for Ukraine, I think it was military based. I think you have the um, only warm water port that they've had a lease on for a long time. And that used to be part of Russia until the 50s when they gave it back under the Soviet Union to Ukraine, which was occupied by Russia, but it was one of the Soviet republics. So they're like, hey, go take Crimea, whatever. In name only, we're going to keep a lease on that port. I think they couldn't afford to do that. And sure, what you're saying about the natural gas, that, that makes total sense. I think in terms of them moving in to sort of do this land grab with the uh, People's Republics and the Donbass, I think it's purely that. I think they saw an opportunity. I think especially, I think they're literally just using whatever liberal institutions exist and turning them on their heads and making them illiberal. 
like what's going on in Hungary right now. Um, but in, in terms of that, I wanted to say, for example, the, the West, the United States, NATO, whatever, if there's some sort of genocide going on that you can point to, or someone developing chemical weapons, we would say, oh my gosh, this is grounds for us to go in because there's going to be a humanitarian disaster. Therefore, it's humanitarian intervention, and we are in the right here. That's how Putin's framing this. He's saying there was going to be a cultural genocide of ethnic Russians in eastern Ukraine. This is the defensive posturing, which, of course, ignores all the realpolitik of the, the situation, which I think we all disagreed on, whether it was energy or um, <laughs> or uh, I think Tyler brought up NATO expansion and some other stuff. I mean, Georgia, that is directly it. It was after that uh, summit in 2008 where NATO said we were planning on integrating Ukraine and Georgia into into NATO. That's a plan. They will become part of this alliance. And then right after that, um, it wasn't Putin at the time. He had just stepped down and Medvedev had uh, come in. I'm totally butchering his name. But in a lot of ways, they have the same policy. And it was, all right, there's these breakaway regions, these separatists in South Ossetia and Abkhazia, where, again, there's Russian ethnic... Uh, Russian ethnic population, and we're going to come in and sort of bolster that. I, I'm not as familiar with going what's going on on Moldova and Transnistria right now. I know that's also sort of this this Russian issue that's going on, but the Donbass is the other region of that, and I think it's for similar reasons what was going on with 2008 in Georgia, which again is that. 2013-2014, Ukraine has this um, deal that's on the table with the European Union that's not just an economic deal that so many people claim it is. It was also to start sharing intelligence together to start getting their militaries more in sync. And so the second that comes into play and the um, pro-Russian, uh, democratically elected uh, leader of Ukraine, Lukashenko, by the time he says, no, I'm not going to go with this, and there's that uprising, which is blame on the West and the National Democratic Endowment Organization and the rest of it, um, which I, I think is being too overly simplistic and giving the West too much credit, sort of like those old CIA coups in Iran and other parts of the world. But um, be that as it may, I think, again, it is all sort, sort of to boil it down. I mean, look, I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. I don't get how this stuff works. But I think if you're talking spheres of influence, for example, Russia doesn't care about Lithuania, Latvia, um, those Estonia, that was the third country up there. There are already parts of NATO that already share a border with Russia. They don't really care about Turkey, what's going on there. Turkey is its own thing. But Ukraine is a very, <laughs> it's a tricky issue. And I think all of us just disagree on it. Um, I'm not sure I'm adding anything new to the conversation. I'm realizing I'm just rehashing old history that doesn't really, you know, help the listeners at this point. So I guess I've said my piece where I disagree on some of the energy stuff, but I do think, I legitimately do believe that if United States troops were there, and if Russian and American troops, and German troops for that matter, if they were there, I think Russia would have more grounds to say, we're going for an all-out war, and then it turns into this big land grab. What you were saying about, to answer your original question about, is Russia just a big gas station? Yep, it absolutely is, and I think this war is going to be bad for them in the long run. I disagree with Pratik on that. But although I could agree with him and concede that in the short term, it is good for Putin. But in the long term, I think they're going to suffer as a country for decades to come because of this. I, I just think and it also it costs a lot of money to like maintain land that you gather gain from Ukraine. Because in Crimea, for instance, they're supporting it. They're propping it up with billions of dollars every single year. It's not like a free thing just to hold land in a foreign nation. That's really, really difficult. So for me, it is mostly tied to that economic interest. I don't. Uh, from what you said, I didn't really 
I don't really understand. Like, what besides the economic interests do you think are driving the situation? I just want to like hammer that home for myself because I, I I I don't know if you fully fleshed that out with what you just said. And you know like, my what, opinion, so I don't need to say anything. Yeah. Just one last. This is the last yeah, comment. So we'll one, on. that EU document. Two, the flirtations where Ukraine is now become, going to become more pro-Western, leave Russia's sphere of influence, and then if you end up having NATO troops on Ukrainian soil, they care way more about that. Ukraine is way is such so much more of an important country than Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania. Those are just drops in the bucket. Ukraine's an actual big deal, and it's a red line for uh, Putin and the Russian regime. And so I don't think they could allow it, and I think that's why they took action. I think they overstepped completely, but I think that's why it's such an issue. I don't think it's because of um, the, I guess, the other issues. I, I would point back to uh, the NATO stuff and just them trying to control spheres of influence. Okay. And, so, you know, I'll, I'll just I'll shift the conversation here. We've talked a lot about that. But w- with this whole situation, what has the West done? They basically said, we're going to barrage you with a new set of tough sanctions, something we've done in the past. But they've said that these sanctions are unprecedented to a degree that we've never seen before. And part of that has to do with SWIFT. So for those of you that don't know, SWIFT is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication, founded in 1973 to replace the Telex and is now used by over 11,000 financial institutions to send secure messaging and payment orders. With no globally accepted alternative, it is essentially the plumbing for the global financial system. Um, This is something that we have not yet cut Russia off from. And the primary reason we have not cut Russia off is because many uh, European countries have resisted that, such as Germany being the biggest opponent of this. This is the way that they pay each other for natural gas. Uh, Iran in 2012, I believe. Let me see here. Iran was removed from SWIFT in 2012 after they were sanctioned by the EU, and they lost almost half of their oil export revenue and 30% of the foreign trade following disconnected completely. So it is a big deal. But going back to what Pratik was saying before, they're so economically tied to Russia at this point, we can't even pull the plug on their economic situation, which would be the most devastating effect to their economy and maybe create some real impact and make them change their ways, in my opinion. So what are your thoughts on this, guys? Do you think that we should cut Russia off from this global financial system largely by using SWIFT? Of course, they've tried to start their own uh, financial systems. It has not been successful. has not been adopted worldwide. Uh, so what are your guys' thoughts on SWIFT? I think that the problem with this is that in the end of the day, all the, this is, oh, their version is the SPFS. So the Russian version. But my, my problem when it comes to this stuff is that the fact is that all these countries are still dependent on Russian energy. And the fact is that all of us people in America, we still drive cars. We don't have private jets and not everybody owns a Tesla. So like in the end of the day, Wait, private jets require a lot of oil. Yeah, yeah, that gas. is true. That is true. <laughs> my bad on the private jets. But my point is that we are reliant on some of the we are reliant on the actual global supply price. And some of that stuff will get hit a lot whenever you do engage in some kind of further, um, you know, sanctions against Russia with SWIFT. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but I'm just saying that in the end of the day, that's just going to make it worse for Europe and worse for us because our oil price our gas prices are going to increase a lot because when we engage in this practice, because we don't have enough domestic supply as it is. And then you have Europe over here 
they're relying on Russia. So I really don't know what their situation is going to be because any economic transaction that does take place, I'm sure when it comes to them buying and selling certain things on the international globe, it may have something to do with that when they're buying energy from Russia. So whenever you engage in those kind of practices, the problem is it's going to make it more expensive. And I'm sure that Russia isn't going to cut off everything from Europe because they are financing. It is being That's how they're paying for their own finances. But Russia is going to become a lot more richer from you engaging in this kind of practice long term and I think in the same issue is that Europe is still dependent on Russia for their energy needs and they're still going to be dependent on Russia for their energy needs so even if you do and kick out um, Russia from SWIFT that's just going to make it more expensive for Europe as a whole and is going to make Russia more profitable and it's going to suck for Americans because we rely on the price of oil or price of gas and that stuff is going to be impacted severely by what's happening in Russia and what will happen if they get kicked out of SWIFT. What do you think, Nick? I think it just goes to show that this threat has some real teeth behind it, especially because Russia and China have tried to develop their own alternative to the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication, SWIFT, which is what Tyler had mentioned. Um, but that's been a huge failure. And so SWIFT is still the main way in which uh, electronic payments are made around the world. And so this really is a big deal. And the Russian economy has been hit so hard by that. Putin must be trying to play the long game, thinking in the long term we'll be able to make the returns back on everything our economy is losing right now. But I don't know if that's the case. I, I don't think that's going to be the outcome. He, he, so It doesn't matter to Putin because Putin controls the country. So, I mean, there's nothing you could really do to Putin. The economy can be in the dump. And then at the end of the day, Putin is still going to be the president of the country. That's the final say on everything. But I, I don't. I wouldn't think that's the end game he would want for his people. Yeah, it, is it fair. seems like if if he wants to recreate the Soviet Union, he wants to be the economic powerhouse, and like he's willing to take this hit for some larger goal. Obviously, like we're, we have obvi obviously talked about the oil situation. Something we haven't talked about is in I, in Crimea, um, eighty five percent of their fresh water came from a canal built during the Soviet era from the Denyap River in Ukraine, southern Ukraine. And when they took Crimea, Ukraine cut it off. They filled up the canal with cement. And from then on, uh, Crimea's had a lot of difficulty even getting fresh water to their ports. And for that, Russia's had to spend billions of dollars in Ukraine. And I think that's probably one of the reasons they're invading right now. So that's one potential reason. But are those billions of dollars a year going to cut the, the hit their economy is going to take for the next five, ten years? I personally don't think so. So I'm really curious as to what Putin's thinking about with this move. You talk about sphere of influence. We talk about oil pipelines and such. I'm just not sure how I would be able to justify that in my own mind. And yeah, I mean, that's a big question. We don't really know exactly. Like, in the end of the day, the problem that I see in what now me and Nick see this is viewed differently I view it as all these other countries are dependent on Russia so it's only a matter of time before they fold to Russia how Nick sees it is I mean and I, I would attribute that to the environmental mandate from the EU and whatever their policies are when it comes to fracking and them trying to not have any fracking in those countries Nick would disagree with me and his policies his factors would be more on the military side and how he thinks is that this is to create a military base and and this is going to further, you know, create a stronger Russia. And they he feels that a lot of these, you know, European partners that are in place um, were trying to create this Russian sphere of uh, move away from the Russian sphere of influence or move Ukraine away. And that's why Russia was trying to make it come back. I think I'm correct. Right, Nick? That's how we view this differently. I think that's the case. Yeah. 
And so, I don't think it's a good idea for Russia to invade. In fact, I think it's a very bad idea. I'm just trying to think through kind of why would they ever do this? Because it, it legitimately makes zero sense to me why they would try to invade that, Kiev. Me too. Th- that's the question I have. And I, I just, just think, I, think, I think it makes a lot of sense to why he's attacking Ukraine. Because he wants to create a monopoly and he knows that no one's going to stop him. Because if he just threatens war, everybody's like, oh no, we can't go to war with you. And he's like, nuclear war. But, oh man, no, no, definitely but, yeah, not. But why do you a take land? You take land for some kind monopoly of benefit over energy. in the future. He controls but the he energy supply it. of all of Europe. But he, this is the one stopping ground because there's a pipeline that goes through Ukraine. Um, but he has other pipelines. He's built no, pipelines that's true. to the north and, and south of Ukraine true. at this that point. Is true, it's true. not the only pipeline they're relying. So that used to be the case, but now I'm like, I don't think. And that's it's not used as much. Entirely. It's gone down a lot over the decades. No, but he also had the Nord Stream three. This is Nord Stream three. There's Nord Stream one. There's Nord Stream two. There's Nord Stream three. So he has three Where's different three? pipeline We're projects. We're not even a two. <laughs> no, no, there is a two. That's what was just recently erected. I can correct me if I'm wrong in the next episode, but I'm pretty sure there was one that was just recently erected that goes around Ukraine. And then they have one that goes through Ukraine. And then there's one that goes on the opposite side of Ukraine. But it's one of those that they need. I mean, if he took over Ukraine, well, then he wouldn't have to worry about having any tariffs or having it pay any, you know, amount of money to Ukraine for using their borders. And they would just occupy Ukraine, so then it's all free for him, basically. But that has to be worth the hit they're taking for everything they're I, doing I right think, now. Which I don't, again, I don't see how that, that would hmm. be possible. But again, maybe I'm just stupid. I'm just, Probably. I just believe that, you know, I mean, they're just doing whatever they can to, you know, have a, have a monopoly over everybody else. And that's what's going on because of all these Western countries. Right, and so just to be last, clear for people listening, there's not three Nord Stream pipelines. Um, there are three are there? pipelines in that part of the world, but one goes through Ukraine and there's others that go Ukraine that are smaller. But um, the, the Nord Stream ones both go around Ukraine. Nord Stream 1 already exists, already goes around Ukraine. Nord Stream 2 kind of mirrors where Nord Stream 1 is, and that would just be a second pipeline that also circumvents Ukraine, but that's not fully in place. Oh, okay. That's the big My one bad. that people are talking about. My bad. All right, All right. Well, with that, do you guys want to? Move? We basically talked about Russia this entire yeah. episode, but let's talk shortly be, about the Supreme. We would be Court. remiss if we didn't talk about the Supreme Court nomination for Biden. So I believe Pratik is taking the story. Yeah. So Biden nominates Katanji Brown Jackson for Supreme Court. So Katanji Brown Jackson, you know, Biden became very much in the news for this because he was talking about how he wanted a black woman in the Supreme Court. So out of the options that he was looking at, this was the top option in his opinion was Katanji Brown Jackson. Katanji Brown Jackson comes with a lot of accolades. She was a Harvard graduate. She was a Harvard undergraduate. She worked for um, the person that stepped down. I forgot his what was his name, the Supreme Court justice that just stepped down. Was it Breyer or Breyer? She was an understudy to Breyer. She was working for him, and now because of all those accolades in place, the uh, by the Biden administration felt that she was the best candidate for the position. The issues dealing with Katanji Brown Jackson has nothing to do with Katanji Brown Jackson. It deals with how the Biden administration addressed the fact that they were going to replace the Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer with, um, you know, an African American justice. And the way he said it was, he was just trying to find a black woman. Had he said that he was trying, he could have just tried to find any Supreme Court justice. And had she been African American, that would have been great. And had it been a woman, that would have been great. But the way that he said it was the challenge that a lot of people had because, I mean, the AA laws don't really apply to the president they apply to everybody else in the world 
So, in at least in America. So, I think in this situation, the challenge is that, I mean, whenever Ketanji Brown-Jackson becomes a Supreme Court justice, she's going to be criticized for the fact that she was only a, a, nominated to the Supreme Court because she was an African-American woman. And, it, I mean, all, I mean even, even if she has all those accolades in place, even if she has a great, like, you know, like, history of what she did whenever she was in the court legal system and all the stuff that she did accomplish, this is going to be a major challenge that she's going to face, at least from people that, um, you know, dislike Katanji Brown Jackson is going to be that, oh, she's only in the Supreme Court because she was an African-American woman and Biden only chose her because she was black. And how bad that sounds, it does sound really bad, but I mean, that's the way that Biden administration did it. And that's going to be a major issue when it comes to her, whenever she is a Supreme Court justice, because I'm pretty sure she will go through if I'm not wrong. But guys, what are y'all's thoughts? Partake, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I, I, I'm no legal expert. Her qualifications look like they would be great for the Supreme Court. Looks like many of the other Supreme Court justices went to Harvard as many accomplishments like she should be put up for that position. But again, you're right. It goes back to the messaging of Biden and the fact that he said it had to be this specific kind of person. Because of that, it's always going to be a mark on her record, and it's not even her fault. And I think that's sad. If the Biden administration said we were going to pick the best candidate and it happened to be her, I think they would have avoided this entire issue. So I'm really laying the the blame on the hands of Joe Biden and his administration for, for coming up with this and not her at all. I have no issues with her. She seems like she'd be a good candidate. I have no problems with that. Uh, but it's kind of pathetic that Biden to politicize himself, to give himself some clout going into his next election, going into the midterms, trying to show that he's virtue signaling to a certain base to get their votes. I, I think that's kind of sad that he's willing to uh, basically tarnish part of her reputation and her ability to get her job done without being seen as being biased. So, unfortunately, I this whole situation was kind of a mess. I think Biden took advantage of her, and it was completely on the Biden administration and their messaging as far as this goes. But, Nick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I don't know if I agree with you about the midterms, Tyler, because I think to announce it on the same day that Russia ends up invading, <laughs> I think like that story just gets buried so far down that if you were really trying to drum up momentum and get people to vote for you because, hey, look, I just nominated the first black woman as a Supreme Court nominee. This is a really big deal. I think if you're trying to do that, I mean, obviously, you can't really anticipate, you know, what <laughs> I guess we were trying to anticipate. But I just think in terms of like momentum going into the midterms, that this was not a great time to put that out. I think they should have waited at least a little bit uh, for that to happen. But I mean, to your point, this has been a long political promise of his since back when he was running initially, he ran on the platform and we can certainly fault him for that. But I, I think he has been very consistent on that since before he got the Democratic nomination and when there were still, you know, Buttigieg and Bernie and Warren and everyone else, he said from the get go, I'm going to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. That's what he said. That's what he's doing. But the confirmation is going to occur much closer to the midterms Ooh, when the Ukraine situation is not necessarily coming good up. Point. And also, maybe they're that. doing it to avoid the political backlash of what's been what we're saying right here. The fact that they're picking a specific kind of person for this role and they were the only person considered. So I get what you're saying, but I think I think during the confirmation process, there's going to be plenty of press about this. Uh, the news media, they love this kind of stuff. And once the war is no longer hot or no longer getting views, because that's how they dictate what they're putting out, I think it's going to be part of the conversation anyway. And You're right about the timing. Cinema. 
I and agree. you got Manchin and Cinema, my two favorite senators, the worst people in the Democratic Party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I think we all agree she's probably going to be confirmed, right? Like, yeah, probably. I, I don't. I assume unless so. unless yeah. they delay it to the extent where it's passed after midterms, and then when it's past midterms, and it won't get passed because Republicans are probably going to get a clear majority in midterms based on how things are going so biden has to plan this stuff much further along so then they can try to get it on a date way before like the midterm elections take place hmm. so maybe that's why he announced it like just timing he couldn't delay it any further but you're right the, the timing is kind of odd you would think he wouldn't do it when this crisis is going on um but any final thoughts before we close out the show no um i just hope people in ukraine are you know they they are staying safe as much as they can and that this war ends to a fast degree and america steps up in the game to try to end it because we want the least amount of casualties to be lost and for you know for the safety of all and pray and we need to pray for the safety of all the people that are in ukraine yeah i'll re reiterate what i said at the beginning i think warfare in general the more it's being able to be documented like first-hand accounts everyone's able to document their experience in warfare i'm hoping that the world sees that and they're de-incentivized to go into war but then again just thinking about like fake news alternative news the kind of messaging you're get if you're in russia you're getting a certain kind of news about what's going on you're getting the, the accounts of your soldiers you're getting the messaging that there's a genocide going on and that you're coming in and saving these people that are ethnically russian so i would just hope that this thing ends and soon but i don't really anticipate it will it seems like russia has some objective they're trying to get done in ukraine and simply the world telling them no is not enough so uh, for those people in ukraine and all the soldiers russian and ukrainian to be honest like most soldiers i don't think are at blame for what's going on here it's really that those higher up so i hope this this conflict ends shortly and there's as few casualties as possible um, but with that we're going to be closing out our show. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Of course, we'll give you an update next week on the situation, what's going on, as well as all things politics. So thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week. Stay Later. safe out there.